You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. An Apache Struts vulnerability patched last week is being actively exploited by cryptojackers. Microsoft works on a fix for local privilege escalation flaws in Windows. Trend Micro sees similarities among Erpage, Confucius, Patchwork, and Bahamut campaigns. Air Canada suffers a breach, criminal threats to power grids, and searching for search engine optimization in all the wrong places. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 29th, 2018. The Apache Struts vulnerability discovered by Semmel and patched last week by Apache is now undergoing active exploitation in the wild. The security firm Volexity reports that it's being used to run a cryptojacking campaign against unpatched systems. The researchers have detected extensive automated scans looking for vulnerable installations and they found that subsequent attacks can install versions of CN Rig Miner, a cryptojacker that runs on Linux distributions. Attacks can also plant script that downloads other malicious code. Thus, while the current threat is cryptojacking, other forms of exploitation are entirely possible. In the current cases, the scans seem to be originating from Russian and French IP addresses. The actors appear to be criminal. As we've mentioned, this is a known and patched vulnerability. Many will recall that last year's notorious and damaging Equifax data breach was enabled by an unpatched vulnerability in Apache Struts. To avoid a repetition, by all means, patch. The Apache Software Foundation has got the fix out. It's time to apply it. A previously unknown Microsoft Windows Local Privilege Escalation Zero Day was announced on Twitter late Monday by Sandbox Escaper, whose Twitter account displayed some misgivings about the disclosure shortly thereafter. CertCC quickly verified that the zero day was real and that it worked against a fully patched 64-bit Windows 10 system. The vulnerability exists in Windows Task Scheduler and has been given a CVSS score of 6.4 to 6.8. There are no known workarounds, but Microsoft has also confirmed the issue and is believed to be working on a patch. The complexity of attribution and the correspondingly complicated connections among threat groups are on display in a Trend Micro account of Urpage, whose activities are interestingly similar to those of Confucius, Patchwork, and Bahamut. Urpage targets InPage, 
a word processor designed for Urdu and Arabic. Trend Micro notes that Urpatch uses a Delphi backdoor like Confucius and Patchwork, and its malware payload resembles the espionage tools found in Bahamut. The Truth Spy, which Motherboard and others call a stalkerware vendor, was hacked, losing logins, audio, images, text messages, and other data. The hacker, whose work the magazine has verified, told Motherboard that, quote, I control victims all over the world. I have admin access to the servers, end quote. It's consumer spyware designed for keeping tabs on a spouse or significant other the customer thinks may be stepping out. Cheaper than a private eye, but not nearly as engaging as Philip Marlowe would have been. Oh, wait. Marlowe always said he didn't do divorce work. There's a concerted effort among many organizations to try to get a better handle on their third-party risk, the vulnerabilities of your suppliers and contractors that may have an effect on your business should they be exploited. It's complicated. CyberGRX is a company that's trying to streamline the process with a third-party cyber risk information exchange. Fred Knipe is CEO at CyberGRX. I think as people start to focus on cybersecurity, the first area people focus on were securing their own environments. And so the last decade or so, uh, you've really seen an increase in focus on cybersecurity, but it's very much around how do I ensure my environment, my controls, my processes, procedures in place. What um, is happening in parallel is companies are becoming more and more reliant upon an ecosystem of third parties to deliver their business. People no longer have you know, all in, in-house counsel or in-house payroll or some of that sort. It's, you know, use ADP, use outside counsel, you use Salesforce, et cetera. Um, and it's kind of an interconnected web. What's happened is as people have built security for their own environment, hackers have said, okay, let's move a different direction, follow the path of least resistance, and let's go through third parties as a channel in. I think Target was probably the biggest wake-up call for everyone that an HVAC provider was the original point of access to get the credit card information. People have not been focusing on that space, and the uh, the effort and attention on third parties to date uh, has really been below what is necessary. And thus, you see, I think it's anywhere between 50 to 60 percent of breaches today originate from a third party. Yeah, it seems to me like it's a hard problem to to even wrap your head around. When I think about the number of organizations that, that any uh, business would interact with and the, the potential, it's sort of an exponential web of risk there. You're absolutely right. I think um, one measure or one important approach to manage that is recognize that while a typical Fortune 500 company has between five and 10,000 third parties that they work with, that only a fraction of those are the ones that are really the ones that create that highest exposure to risk. Do they have network access? Do they have uh, logging credentials? Do they come on site, et cetera? So one of the first things that we've helped companies do is work through what we'll call an inherent risk mapping to understand who should I even be focused on? Instead of trying to go out and and determine the risk around a thousand companies, they can first focus in on that top 10, top 100 or whatever it might be uh, as the first step in the process. Now, how do you manage uh, some sort of, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, standardization for how you deal with your third-party providers? I I would think it would be um, impractical to to deal with each one as as a one-off situation. That's exactly right. And it's, uh, it's remarkable what happens today. So uh, in some of the regulated industries, such as financial services, healthcare, or even retail because of uh, the PCI, personal confidential information, um, you have seen some level of third-party management. But what that typically is, is a very paper-based 
um, sending an Excel file saying, tell me about your password policy, tell me about your phishing program, et cetera, that if you repeat over a thousand or so companies, it's, it's almost impossible to manage through that. People have teams dedicated to just kind of processing that data. And uh, on the other side of it, there are companies who are being assessed. One of my favorite examples is uh, the payroll company, ADP. They've been in, in assessed in excess of 4,000 times per year. And so that's a team dedicated just responding to questionnaires. It, you're all asking roughly the same questions. Of those 4,000 for ADP, the vast majority are basically the same. Some will ask for in different formats. They'll be in Word files. They'll be in Excel files, whatever it is. But it's the same type of information. And so let's, let's standardize that in a comprehensive set of information and allow it to be assessed once and used multiple times. The, the analogy that I use for that is, um, you know, if you rewind, call it 100 years or so, if you're trying to raise money in the uh, financial markets, you'd have to go to any, each bank and they do their own due diligence. And now if you're trying to raise capital, you know, you get an S&P or a Moody's credit rating, and that gives you all that depth of information that you would need uh, to kind of make that risk-based decision. We're trying to do the same thing for cybersecurity. That's Fred Knipe from CyberGRX. Air Canada has disclosed that its mobile app sustained a data breach last week. It's thought to affect some 20,000 people whose basic profile data were exposed. That information includes names, email addresses, and phone numbers. It may also include more sensitive optional information users might have added to their profiles. As operational technology experts at Applied Control Solutions continue to warn of potential security issues with power plants' process sensors, Researchers at security firm Cyber Reason point out that criminals also pose a threat to the grid. Unlike nation-states, cyber criminals may not mean to turn the power off, but they might do so inadvertently. Cyber Reason concluded an experiment last week in which they set up a dummy utility network and observed what happened as cyber criminals attempted to hack into it. Attempt they did, and not just a few of them succeeded. In Cyber Reason's assessment, The attackers exhibited some advanced skills, but they were also sloppy in many respects. Cyber Reason told the Washington Post, quote, They're not looking to throw the switch, but they might throw the switch by accident, quote. Most concerns about power grid attacks have focused on the threat of state espionage services, especially those of Russia, deliberately seeking to get into an adversary's electrical distribution system and gain the ability to shut it down. This is a form of warfare, or at the very least, a form of very aggressive statecraft. But, Cyber Reason argues, the criminal threat can't be overlooked either. Their motives are doubtless different. They might, for example, seek to hold utilities up for ransom, or they might be interested in simply penetrating business networks for the usual reasons of credential theft, financial fraud, and so on. But it's worth noting that at least two incidents that disrupted industrial control systems appear to have been inadvertent, incidental to the attacker's presumed primary purposes. These are the 2014 attack on a German steel mill that damaged a blast furnace. The attack prevented the furnace from being properly shut down. And last year's incident in Saudi Arabia, where Trisis malware caused, again probably unintentionally, systems at an oil and gas production facility to enter their fail-safe shutdown mode. So, Cyber Reason points out, hackers make mistakes too, and when those mistakes touch operational control systems, the results could be very damaging indeed. Reuters reports that an Iranian influence campaign major social media platforms have struggled with 
is bigger than initially believed. One indication of its size is the effort's linguistic reach. Reuters counts Iranian information operations in 11 languages. Finally, you've heard of search engine optimization, of course. There's a newish form of unwelcome SEO out there. The promise of bot-driven negative reviews coming to dominate the online image of a company or organization. There's currently an active gang of extortionists out there seeking to do exactly that. They call themselves, either ironically or truthfully or cluelessly, the STD Corporation, and they're trying to shake down airfare comparison site CheapAir for over $10,000 in cryptocurrency, of course, to make sure CheapAir's reputation doesn't get blasted by a wave of bad reviews, all amplified by botnets. CheapAir says it's not paying, to which we say, bravo, and use reviews with caution. Bots wouldn't recognize good customer service if it bit them in the bites. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland. He's also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, uh, welcome back. Uh, we had a story come by. This was in Wired. Um, and this was about uh, some flaws in some Intel processors, uh, particularly dealing with the secure enclave. What do we have going on here? Well, I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, remember the attacks from early on this year, uh, Spectre and Meltdown. 
that uh, were used by some attackers, uh, some researchers, sorry, to um, basically expose secret information from uh, code execution. Mm -hmm. And what those same researchers then did actually was they applied those techniques to the Intel SGX, which is supposed to be a uh, secure enclave that Intel produces. And they showed that using extensions of those attacks, they were able to, number one, uh, get secret information from within the enclave, which is something that you're not supposed to be able to do. And even worse, uh, they were able to actually extract uh, the secret keys put in there by Intel from those uh, secure enclaves. Hmm. Now, is this 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 secret key? Is does every does every instance of the processor get its own secret key, or is this some sort of a master key? So uh, it's a little bit of both, actually. So every hmm. every instance of the enclave does get its own secret key, but because of the way the uh, protocol is designed, it's using what's called a group signature scheme, which uh, essentially means that every enclave has the ability to sign. But a verifier can't tell, actually, which enclave generated the signature. They can only tell that it was a legitimate uh, Intel SGX platform generating that signature. So once you're able to get one key out, it means you can impersonate uh, a legitimate Intel SGX enclave and then you know, fraudulently sign whatever you like. So just getting a single key is already bad enough to, to uh, basically impact security of the entire system. And is this patchable? Is this something Intel is on on top of, or is this is a, a deeper flaw than that? Well, it's it's uh, patchable in the sense that Intel, as far as I know, is currently working on the designs of next generation uh, enclaves that would be resistant to these attacks. Hmm. But it's not patchable in the sense that the ones that are already deployed, the hardware that you already might have uh, running on your machine, uh, is not going to be fixed, and it's not going to be uh, able to be resilient to these attacks. Unfortunately. Hmm. Now, what about the the bigger picture with this? Um, I've heard some folks uh, being critical of Intel and other uh, processor designers saying that, you know, this is a result of their inability to keep making processors that are faster. So in exchange for that, they've come up with these, you know, these speculative uh, processing techniques. Um, And then that's what led to these vulnerabilities. Well, there is some truth to that. It certainly was the case that by trying to improve efficiency, they left themselves open to these attacks. Uh, On the other hand, I I don't think it's really fair to blame Intel because the idea of speculative execution goes back decades, Mm. and it wasn't until recently that people were able to exploit it. So, uh, you know, it's not like Intel understood that these were going to be vulnerable or that they were going to cause vulnerabilities. They were doing the best they could to make the most efficient processors, and it's only the, uh, the researchers who have been able to get better and better at exploiting what Intel has done. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's not like folks haven't had time uh, to look at these sorts of things and see if it was potentially going to be a problem. Yeah, exactly. And I think the research was actually quite clever. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to say that nobody really saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to exploit, like I said, speculative execution has been around for, for decades and nobody had noticed that it was a problem before. And so the work that was done to uh, leverage that and then extract secret information was uh, you know, technically quite advanced and, and really, like I said, quite clever. Hmm. All right. Well, as always, Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.